Hello, and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, we are talking about one of our favorite topics, ethical villainy. And I'm joined by my host, Riki Hayashi of the Star Wars Universe podcast. All that and more right after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have something I'm really excited about. Um, any of you who are also listeners to the Star Wars Universe podcast will have gotten to know Riki. Uh, Riki's a good friend and colleague of mine from the Judge World who's going to be, um, who has been a host with, uh, along with his uh, partner, Sarah, on the Star Wars Universe podcast. And today he's joining us over here to talk about something he and I have discussed a good deal and that we, we touch on a lot in this show but haven't really gotten to dive deep into in quite a while. And namely, it's the topic of ethical villainy. Uh, Riki? Do you want to um, say hello and um, tell us a little bit about uh, this topic is your suggestion? Tell us a little about kind of what you have in mind and what makes you interested in this. Yeah. Hello. Good evening, Matthew, and to all the listeners. So for me, this has always been a very interesting topic. Uh, villains in comics, comic books, movies, etc. Have, have always appealed to me a bit more than the heroes. They've been more interesting characters to me. Yeah. And especially like the... My focus, I think, for this one, we'll talk about a, a, a wide range of villains, but my focus is really going to be on Sinestro, mm. who is the arch nemesis of uh, the Green Lanterns, and specifically Green Lantern Hal Jordan. Um, and, and so, like, from that, you know, we've been talking about this topic for a while. And from that, I thought there were a lot of interesting questions about whether villains can be ethical right like villains yeah. are supposed to be evil like it's good versus evil so what what does it mean to be an ethical villain like what are the ethics of villainy why do they do the things they do what are their motivations that i think that can really define and set them apart from other types of villains so so that's my main interest here nice yeah i mean one thing that i always think of when i think of the the ethical villain is the person who from their own point of view, they un they 100% think they're the good guy in the story um, or the good person in the story. Um, and that, that, that often it's because of either they have a flawed logic or sometimes it's just that they don't have information and they're ignorant or that they have, they're kind of blinded by biases or whatever it might be. Um, and so we, the audience, might see things differently. And certainly the, the hero, quote unquote, sees things differently. But, but I... I I share that same interest for you, and, and for me, it's always that idea of the, the villain who thinks they're they're the one in the right. Does, does that does that track for you? That the the ones you think of are ones who wouldn't necessarily see themselves as the villain in the story. Well, no one sees themselves as the villain of the story, right? That's kind of the, the how the saying goes. For well, me, I mean, I mean, I think if you're robbing a bank, you, you you're you're pretty sure that you're on the the robber's side of cops and robbers. You you might think there's nothing wrong with that, but you certainly think that you're going against the law in a way that I feel like ethical villainy is not quite that. Well, even like even in something as simple as robbing a bank. I mean, we talk about, for example, capitalism, right? The evils of capitalism as a system and right. how it's set up. And maybe the bank robber thinks that, you know, like Robin Hood, in fact, it is technically a villain, right? Like he okay. steals. <laughs> he steals money. And yet we all like we all think of Robin Hood as a hero. So there you go. I I mean, do you think Pal someone like Emperor Palpatine thinks of themselves as much of a good guy as Magneto does? 
So, I mean, Pal- Palpatine, we, I love Star Wars, obviously. I'm on a podcast about uh-huh. it with you. But Palpatine is probably one of the shallowest and one-dimensional <laughs> villains in, yeah, in all I... of canon. Like, he's an amazing character in terms of the actor and, and the life he brings to it. And, of course, like his powers, the Force Lightning, the first time you see that it is just amazing. Right. But what is what is this guy doing? Why is he doing <laughs> these things? Right? And and so, like, we, we can talk a little bit about that and... And how he fits into this kind of hierarchy of, of villains, I guess. No, that, that's fair. And I guess I, I, I'm just trying to establish a framework that I'm using. But the, I, I can understand it for you to see it tiny differently. So I, I guess then if you don't go with that idea, how would you define what, what is an ethical villain as opposed to uh, the mustache twirler is kind of, I think, the phrase we often use uh, here instead. But how, how would you kind of define what, what's your idea of an ethical villain? So when I, when I look at villains... Um, specifically, like mostly I, I think of comic books, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the classic place where we have these good versus evil battles. Um, I broke it down into four archetypes that could maybe be three. Um, so the first archetype of villain is the criminal, you know, just the person who is breaking the law often right. is stealing things, right? Like this this was like the original, um, you know, action comics, Batman and Superman, Detective Comics. Their nemeses were people who were committing crimes and often just right. like stealing things. Pe- um, people often forget, I think, that DC com it, it is it stands for Detective Comics, and it was yeah. very much about Batman as a detective more than anything. Yeah, and then like the, the Batman TV series, all of the villains, all they did was like steal things. You know, rob right. banks or steal paintings or what, whatever their theme was, right? Um, like Catwoman would steal cat-themed artwork or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's you know that's one category of villainy. And again, like we can look at that as, as saying like stealing things is bad, except for Robin Hood. So so there's like there there are question marks there, right? Uh, the the second kind of overarching category of villains I came up with was the killer. You know, literally just people who go out and kill, whether it is, you know, murdering individuals or committing larger scale genocide killings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could see this as an out, outgrowth of the criminal in the, the quote at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like murder is one of the worst crimes. Right. So here's someone who was it was break not just breaking the laws of society, but really going against the laws of nature by by killing. Um, right. And so, like the the most simple version of this would be the Joker, mm-hmm. uh, a modern day Joker. Like I think Joker also originally was just a thief, but right. but today we think of Joker as a murderer who just delights in killing people in weird chemical fashion mm-hmm. uh, and then on the larger scale we just had thanos uh, in the marvel cinematic universe who literally uh, erased half of all life in the universe with a snap right so so those are the the two kind of extremes of the the, the killer as a villain and I, I think thanos is actually they made thanos more interesting in the movies right. than I was expecting. Um, because, I mean, you know what his motivation is in the comics, right? 
Right. In the comics, he's and it's funny because the movies teased us a little bit. In the comics, he's literally wiping out half the universe to flirt. Um, yeah. He has a huge crush on Death, who is the embodiment of Death itself. Yeah, Death and is a character and is a woman. Right. And Marvel. his idea is that by killing, and, and it's important, he's not removing them from existence. He's killing half the people in the universe. He, you know, that's a, a meat cute in his mind. Um, and yeah, the, to me, the shift towards what he does instead is, is, is something I think is really emblematic of, uh, and we'll talk about this, that, that it seems we're getting a lot more of that kind of ethical villain where, because to me here, Thanos, and this is kind of what I was getting at, Thanos does it in the movies now because he believes that he's actually helping, that he's doing good in some way. Um, it's an think, e- economic argument. Yeah, like we are it, currently right now, April of 2020, we are seeing people make very similar arguments about the coronavirus situation. Like right. it's okay if a, a few more people die in order to open up the economy like that. They're making that kind of they're weighing life right. versus, I guess, uh, a way of life. I, I mean, in a strictly you uh, to look at it from a perspective of, you know, the academic moral and eth- ethical world. Um, his argument is 100% based in uh, utilitarianism. And yeah. it's also based in faulty logic and understanding of economics. But even if even if his central conceit was true, um, I think from the school of utilitarianism, his argument makes sense. I think most of us would then look at him and go, yeah, but that's a that's a perfect example of what's wrong with the school of utilitarianism. Right. Um, but, but yeah, his argument is that the quality of life for the remaining half of the people or, or life forms will be right. improved. Right. And and I guess that, that to me is what I think of when I think of the ethical villain. It's, it's especially because like with someone Thanos, it's, it's pretty easy to say, okay, no, clearly you're wrong, but you know, that, but there's a moment where you go, maybe he has a point. I'm, I'm interested in, in thinking about this. And what I think of the ethical villain more than anything is it is those villains who make me do that. You know, when Magneto makes me think, wait a minute, when I think about mutants or any, you know, um, minority that is abused and, and people are scared of, like, is there some sense to, to fighting back in the way Magneto talks about or mm-hmm. the kind of arguments Killmonger makes or someone like that? Yeah. Um, th- those are the ones that I think I like most. Um, so and we'll, we'll get to them. Let, yeah. let, me, let me move on here, though, to the third category of villains that I came up with, oh, which do. is the Conqueror. The, mm. These are the villains that are, quote, trying to take over the world or the galaxy, or the multiverse, or whatever. Um, So you have, you know, kind of human characters like Maxwell Lord from DC and Lex Luthor also from DC who are humans trying to conquer planet Earth or the country or whatever. Um, You have, uh, from Marvel, Doctor Doom, right? Mm -hmm. Is, Is essentially a conqueror, although he kind of starts out already as the king of Latveria, but he's trying to maintain that. Right. Um, and then, like, on the cosmic scale, I, I thought of Darkseid, who is... Uh, what, what are those planets called? He he is trying to take over New Genesis. Is that what it is? I, I don't... You know the comics much better than okay. I do, so I'll trust you on that one. Uh, and, and I guess in the, in the DC movies, he is also trying to conquer Earth now, which he does right. in the comics, too, so... Um, so yeah, like these are, 
these are people who uh, I don't know like I don't know how ethical these conquerors are right mm -hmm. because they are they mostly seem like they are very ego driven right um, I guess well, like Luthor is probably the most ethical in a sense mm -hmm. and that he thinks he's so smart he knows better and yeah, that I'll... people would be people's quality of life again would be better under his quote-unquote rule uh, when he and, becomes president and there is that kind of what i what I often refer to as intellectual fascism of uh and oh. it's it's um in science fiction literature especially um it, it was a very prevalent idea especially um i think of robert Heinlein's ideas often going to this but it's the idea of like we are the smart people everyone else is stupid and is making bad decisions um we should just take over because we know best and we can best create a um uh an ethical society for everyone and generally i think you're supposed to look at it and go well wait a minute that's a really really bad idea um because of our concept of freedom yes. um but but i think some of the ones that are i think are most interesting is the um is when it's uh, a little bit of a question um have you seen the tv show supergirl Oh yeah. Uh so I have I've not caught up on it. I believe we watched the first 3 seasons. Okay. Um I'm trying to remember the name of the character, but in the first season of Supergirl, the big bad winds up being um a I think I think she's a fellow Kryptonian, but her whole I think she's actually like uh Kara L's aunt or someone like that. Yeah. Right? Uh listeners please correct me. But her her concept is that humans are destroying the planet. So she wants to completely mind control every person on the planet. Yes. To force them to completely rebuild industry to make it green and save the planet and end the threat of climate change. And then she'll return control. And we actually did a whole episode early on the show about, is she right? Oh, like, Because, nice. yeah, to me, it, I, I'm guessing this is the kind of thing you mean. That's to me a great example of one where, like, I hate the idea of someone else taking control. I don't want to give up freedom like that. But the idea that we are all as humans using our freedom badly and destroying the planet is completely correct. And frankly, if you told me that tomorrow someone was going to take everything over and force climate change upon us, I feel like I'm supposed to think that's a bad idea. And I think I think it's a bad idea, but I'm really not sure, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that that's the kind of thing I that of of, you know, with, with, you look at the villain and you go, yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from. Well, well, yeah, like so, the first two categories, the the criminal and the killer, like it's it's very easy to see where the lines are, right, between quote unquote good and evil. Whereas once you start getting into the these upper categories, that I think there are question marks, right, and, and certainly like when it comes to the conqueror archetype, which you just said, freedom, right? Like free will right. versus actually like law. Like, so the conquerors are trying to take over and create new laws in their own mm -hmm. image. And then the, the, the heroes who are fighting against them are actually arguing against what are now the, the laws and arguing for free will. And, right. and so the situations like in Marvel, when they have the civil wars, you know, not yeah. when they disagree over, although the movie kind of touched on this, like 
the, I think the comic book Civil Wars did a much better job of having this conflict between freedom and how much authority can control things. Right. Yeah. And I think those are all interesting questions because it gets into, I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot in terms of these stories, and this is a little bit meta, but it's also a question of who's telling the story, you know, um, Kill, Killmonger is one of my favorite villains in part because I feel like the movie called Black Panther, of course, Black Panther becomes the hero of that. And the way that story is told from Black Panther's perspective, I think I wind up siding with Black Panther. But I'm fairly certain that if you made a movie called Killmonger, in which Killmonger was portrayed as the hero, and the two of them had the exact same motivations and the exact same methods, I think I'm probably still going to be somewhat judgmental of uh, Eric's methods. But I think I would, I, like, even from this movie, I'm really on the fence about him. And I think I'd be a lot more on it if it's told from another perspective. So I, I think it's one thing to think about as we go through these is who's telling the story? Because, you know, with a lot of these... I often sort of wonder, like, what what would the story, what what would an X Men story look like if Magneto was the point of view character instead of Professor X? You know, as just one example. So I agree with a lot of what you just said. I would just want to add that Killmonger needs better PR. You know, he needs yep. a better name. <laughs> yes, because when you, when you put Kill in your name, it's like, uh, maybe we shouldn't trust you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so this brings us to my fourth category, which I, I think could be a subcategory of the Conqueror, but I call it the politician, which is mm. that these are villains who are, again, like trying to impose their will or their ideas of what a society should be on people. And in some cases, like they are using force still to bring it about because right. I, I guess they're villains. But the I think the arguments are more compelling than mm-hmm. just like I know better because I'm smart or, or or I you should bow down to me because I am more powerful than you right like Neil before Zod yeah uh, was a <laughs> conqueror and not a politician but uh, parallel Superman are you familiar with the injustice line No tell me about it. So Injustice was, I believe, originally a video game where it's just a fighting uh, fighting game where you can fight uh, DC characters against each other. Okay. Yeah, cool concept. Then they created a comic book to parallel it that told more of the background story, which is that this is, this is a world where Superman, Superman has gone bad. Okay. Or, you know, that, that's the narrative, but we can question that because... Uh, what happens is uh, the Joker kills Lois or, or actually tricks Superman into killing Lois, tragically. And that causes Superman to just like have a, a mental break and kill the Joker. And then from that point forward, decide like he's not going to he doesn't care about human laws anymore. It's about his laws because human laws allowed Joker to kill his, the love of his life. You know, so him and Batman face off on this because Batman still is Mr. No Kill. Like, you can't kill people. Right. And Superman's like, why not? If you had just killed the Joker earlier in your battles, this never would have happened. He never would have killed Lois. So 
That's quite uh, a flip, given that Batman's whole thing is that the law is that, that Batman generally is the vigilante. He's the one willing to say the law is not working, so I'm going to go outside the law. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he still is. So Superman becomes the law. He conquers planet Earth and various members of the Justice League, based on their personalities and background, side with him. And, and so it causes this break in the Justice League. Uh, and similar to the Marvel Civil War storylines, they start recruiting villains to their side. You know, oh, both sides have villains that are sympathetic to their cause. So the aforementioned Sinestro, for example, sides with Superman because, yeah, like that's what he's all about in the first place is using your power to impose, you know, order in right. essence, over people's freedom. Yeah. Okay, so I, I definitely see where you're going there. You have the different categories, um, and I think that because I, I like I, I almost think that almost any of those categories could wind up being virtuous or not, depending on where you come at it. Um, was, was there any more categories, or is that that the full that's, list? That's the four I came up with, and I think like as a spectrum, the the higher you go from from yeah. where we started, the more like it opens up these questions of like, well, maybe I guess the right. killer would be lower than the criminal technically, but yeah. But yeah, it's that that's kind of where I came at this subject from. Nice. No, I I can definitely see that. And I I'm I I think you're right. Like I feel like any of them I I think I can I can find some some instance of a person who is I think of as heroic uh, or at least not necessarily a, a a a villain or an ethical villain at least in any of the categories, but the higher you go on that list, um certainly the more it changes. Um yeah. let, let me start by just kind of framing it this way also. To your mind, what's the difference between a villain and an antagonist? Um, whether I like them or not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I I, I guess I, I ask it because it, it, it's, to me, I often think like in a lot of movies, I see an antagonist as someone who is, they're getting in the way of our heroes, what the hero wants to do, but they're not necessarily bad by any means. Like, like I mm. wouldn't, um, like, uh, uh one of my favorite examples is in the movie The Fugitive, uh, or the TV show also, but the movie from I'm gonna sound I guess it's really a lot older than I think it is, with with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. You Probably know, like thirty years old. Yeah. Um <laughs> well okay, but um you can you can find other examples like this. Um our hero is a person who's been framed for a crime and is trying to both escape the cops and um, you know, both escape the cops and find justice by figuring out who is who actually killed his wife. And Tommy Lee Jones is playing the cop who's chasing him throughout the whole movie, the marshal, I guess. Yeah. And I really like the way it's portrayed because Tommy Lee Jones is shown as someone who it's not that he's like a corrupt cop who knows what's happening. It's not that he's like, you know, he hates Harrison Ford's character by any means. It's just his job is to bring in the the person who's run away and he's certainly open to the idea that the person should get a fair trial, but he's like, you were convicted by the law. I'm going to try and hunt you down. And, um, right. you know, there, there's there's one famous point in the, uh, in the movie where Harrison Ford says, I don't kill my wife. And, and the cop, Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think we can, today we can look at that and say a whole lot about, you know, can anyone who's a cop and an authority figure and not questioning it ever be considered not a villain? I, I think that that's a whole other question, but to me that that's kind of an example. Like similarly, like um, in the movie V for Vendetta, uh, the cop figure who winds up kind of switching sides. Uh, 
I guess those are people I think of as not antagonist. Th- th- that's kind of where I draw the line of villain versus antagonist. Of Antagonist is someone who's kind of getting in the way of what the hero is trying to do. But you don't you don't look at them and think they're a bad person for it. You just think they're they either have different information or they're on the different side of something. Well, essentially, yeah, that the the system is corrupt or the system is wrong, right? But you're not blaming the individuals who are upholding the system, right? And and you talked about our our modern take on police officers, and I, and I take that take. I, I think police officers in our society by and large are good people and -hmm. they are trying to do their best in a system that is broken right and and it's one that really gets into the question of you know of of of, does ignorance mean villainy you know if if you if you are i i guess like to take the two examples i just gave the cop and the fugitive versus the cop in v for vendetta um in the fu- in the world of the fugitive, at least, it seems to be a perfectly well functioning justice system, where there's also you know this one person got framed. V for mm-hmm. Vendetta, I think it's a lot clearer that the system is teetering on the edge, if not all the way over into the edge of you know not being a just system at all. And so I, I think I hold that cop as having kind of a higher responsibility to realize that. Um, but in both cases, you're right; it's someone who is trying to do good within a broken system. And and I I think like at every there are different levels of whether the systems are working, and in, in something like V for Vendetta, uh, the the people at the top, the politicians at the top, probably still believe that their system is working because it is keeping down like general crime, right? Right, like in, in a totalitarian system. In theory, like you are cutting down on on the average crime, like murders and whatnot, because simply put, like the the people don't have the power to commit them. Like in a you know a totalitarian system, you're going to take away their freedom to to you know buy guns, for example. So right. you're not going to be able to shoot people. Yeah, and and it's I think different like, and that's always also an interesting question as well of the 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 leader who honestly believes that as the dictator he's a, he's trying to do the right thing uh and trying to help everybody even if we see it quite differently um v from vendetta um if i remember correctly there's some of that but it's but it's much more about uh the racism and hate but also just the pure you know opportunism and and an attempt to kind of empower themselves and get and get rich themselves right um, I, I was going to get to that like the the greed Right, like, right. Because yeah. I am doing this for society, I deserve, you know, a palace and a boat, and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, the the first among equals, and I, I, I guess that that I think we're on the same answer to this. But I, I, I think it's important to kind of put that this question out there. Is it fair to say that both of what we're saying is that acts that would seem villainous under other circumstances can appear to be a lot more ethical or a lot more understandable? depending on the cause, depending on the motivation, you know, and that if you're that, that, that if you're attempting to run the society because you honestly believe the society is better off that way, that that's problematic, but still maybe not quite that, that we judge that differently than someone who's just out for power and greed and control. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. And I think you'll get different perspectives on that in our modern world 
depending on what country you're from. Right. I think that the United States of America is a country built upon and that highly values individual freedoms far more than than other countries do. Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought you were going to go a very different direction, which is that I, I, I think that's true. I also think, though, that as Americans, because of our colonial history, we're a lot more likely to believe that we need to rule these other people for their own good, you know? And hopefully well, that yeah, that idea that. is getting pushed. It's getting pushed out of the American zeitgeist, but I think it's it's definitely still very much there. Um, yeah. So so and let's contrast that with um, the victim with a, the villain with a cause, as opposed to the mustache twirler. And we, we started to get into Palpatine as a perfect example of this. Um, mm. What what do you have? What what's the? Um, I, I think we can both say it pretty clearly. But what for you? What's the problem with someone like Palpatine as a villain? Why is he doing it? Why does he conquer the the galaxy? Do do you know? I does because know? the I, I mean, if you just watch the movies and the TV shows, you have no idea whatsoever. If you read the books, there's at least some idea given to the Sith have this ideology that they need to have control, but it's still basically just a manifestation of mustache twirling. Um, yeah. And Jonah, Jonah Kelman is listening to this and already angrily writing an email to correct me, I'm sure. Um, but but because they're, they're, I think the Sith do have some level of, you know, if, if I have total control, then no one else can control me. Um, right. So, so part of it is the, the Sith history, Sith versus Jedi history. There's like a thousand year old feud between right. these factions. And. He is partly trying to take over the galaxy to wipe out the Jedi. Right? Then the other part of it is, you know, when he's lightning bolting Mace Windu, he shouts, Unlimited power! And it it just seems like that's his motivation. It's just like he wants power for the sake of power. Yeah. Um, At least when Anakin turns, turns to the dark side and becomes Vader... He ha- he has that speech to Obi Wan, right? Like, or, or maybe to Padme, or both, where he's talking about, "I have brought peace right. to my empire," and so he's like fixated on the idea of peace, which becomes ridiculous because the current conflict between the Republic and the Separatists was completely manufactured by <laughs> Palpatine. Yeah. So in fact, like, as soon as he becomes emperor, he just says, all right, Separatists, you're done. Thanks. Right. And he ter- basically turns them off, and now you have peace. But I was going to say, because there was actually no conflict in the first place. Or maybe there was, but it was not to the point of military conflict. Right. And I do think that Star Wars illustrates an interesting point, which is this idea of um, that once you start telling yourself, it's okay that I'm breaking these legal or moral laws because I'm doing this for a good cause, that, 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 that idea itself can corrupt you and that you can be driven further and further down the path of, you know, well, I, I need to have even more power because of, you know, my ultimate goal of helping everyone. And that over time, you start to forget what the ultimate goal is and it just becomes about the power and greed. And I, I certainly think that that is a, a path that where, uh, you know, how an ethical villain can become a mustache twirler of sorts. Um, I, I think that the, 
the where where what I think you're getting at with Palpatine, and especially with the for me the idea of mustache twirler is where either they never had that motivation to begin with, or they're now so far beyond it that they're now just taking joy in it. Um, you know the like you said the ultimate power, the evil laugh. Um, those can be fun villains sometimes, but generally the to me that's nowhere near as compelling a story as you know even like you said someone like Anakin for whom it's um, I have to save my wife. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 or, you know, someone like I, Iceman is, is, is in the DC comics, Batman comics world is, uh, Mr. Freeze. I'm sorry, not Iceman. Wow. I'm angering people today. Um, but that's another example of that. You know, I need to save this person or I need to, from a Magneto, you know, I need to save my people or something like that. Well, here, here's a, that's sticking with Star Wars. Here's an even more interesting thing. Like when we get to Return of the Jedi or like, let's say you time travel to just before watching Return of the Jedi and you ask yourself, like, is there any question of who, you know, this is the last in the trilogy. Is there any question of who's going to win? And, you know, what do you think Luke will turn to the dark side or not? Right? Like, no. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was very clear cut where the lines of good and evil were. Right. And, and who's going to do what. Now, go back. I mean, you had a whole episode on this and we've had we had discussions about this. Go back to just before you saw the rise of Skywalker, did you have questions of who was going to win between, you know, like Ray and Kylo Ren and who was going to turn to the light or the dark all over the place. We had no idea. We had debates about it and we all had our own pet theories. Yeah. So, so, for, 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 so for me, like that type of villainy, Mm-hmm. of kylo ren even though like he did some monstrous things he was still you understood enough of him and his motivations and who he was as a character to make him interesting and that and that for me like that's what i like to see is villains who are interesting enough that you don't automatically think they're gonna lose right i i, I get that and i um i think i was well, granted, I was seven, um, but I was maybe a, I, I, I was not really sure what was going to happen in Return of the Jedi. But but certainly I I'm not quite with you on Kylo. I've never liked the character as much as I know you do. But I would the, the one that I would put in there that discussion as well is for me, Darth Vader, um, because Darth Vader is very much someone who in the first movie is, you know, if, if his if his, you know, robot, if his face mask had a mustache, he'd be twirling it. You know, he is just yeah. pure villainy for the sake of villainy but in a way that is scary and intimidating rather than you know humorous and eye-rolly um but by the second movie you start to realize like he has all these conflicted feelings he doesn't really want to do what the emperor is doing he does maybe think that he and his son can rule the the empire and maybe do some good you're barely there um Mm. all the way to at the very end of return of the jedi he does find some redemption by by going against that um Sure. So yeah, I, I think in the, in the Star Wars universe, you have all of that, um, and and juxtapose that against someone like Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt, I don't think there's any possibility. He was always just that first category of villain you said, a criminal, um, and he's not even like mustache twirly. He he's just you know he has a little criminal empire for his own personal gain, and and that's what he's out to do. Yeah, there's no there's no interesting Jabba stories, are there? That I'm aware of. No, because I don't think there's much of a he. He's kind of a one note character in that regard. Yeah. You know, he's scary and intimidating, but he's not. There's no. We have no question about Jabba's. I, I don't think there's anybody who says Jabba was right in the way you could say that about almost any of the other 
more ethical villains we're talking about. So your um, thing about Vader, what, mm-hmm. one thing I want to add is that I think in episodes four, five, and six, the fact that he is always still just like the dark robotic figure ma- makes it a harder turn, I think, for mm-hmm. the whole redemption arc and all that. Where that that's why I love La- The Last Jedi so much mm. is that Kylo literally takes off the mask, right? Yeah. And so I think that that was a very powerful visual cue for us that, ah, he's not just, you know, this this evil masked figure. Like he, Now we're going to see his face. Now we're going to see his expressions and, and, and mm. really get to see the conflict. See, that's interesting because I, I feel like if you watch Empire Strikes Back, the conflict in Vader is all over the place. Like mm. the way that he is kind of subtly resisting the Emperor. And, uh, and, and I mean, granted... The way he shows that he's struggling and he's frustrated, you know, when Kylo is struggling and frustrated, he bashes his, you know, mask and lightsaber against a control panel. When mm-hmm. Vader is um, frustrated and struggling, he force chokes to death his subordinates. So, yeah, we're pretty solidly on the, on the side of villainy with, with Vader. But oh, I feel like... There's, there's some good comics. Uh, Vader comics. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's the... There's the comic where he first learns that um, Luke Skywalker is the name of the pilot who blew up the first Death Star mm. and, and like makes the connection. Yeah, so he realizes that Palpatine lied to him about Padme dying and his child being unborn. Um, and, and the anger manifests in him cracking the window in front of him on, on the starship that he's on with the force and it's just oh, a very powerful emotional scene yeah that that's I, I think does a better job of showing what you were talking about of of how he was trying to subvert the emperor mm-hmm. and it I shows more see that. Mo- motivation for why right and, and i think and we'll, we'll get to that because i think one of the things that becomes interesting about these characters is is there a possibility for redemption with, with an ethical villain um so i want to go into some of the the ideas that i i specific questions I wanted to look at and kind of different types of ethical villains. Um, but first I know one of the ones you want to keep coming back to is Sinestro. And that's, um, I am not familiar with that particular story. So can you give us kind of a quick summary of who Sinestro is in, in these stories and, and, and how you see him in terms of, of ethical villainy? Yeah. So this is the part where you can just speed up my voice. I start talking like this <laughs> because he's my favorite comic book character. I, I've read so much of his stuff and all the credit to Jeff Johns, who did most of the writing for the run of uh, the Green Lantern comics, starting with Rebirth to the, I can't remember, Green Lantern, The End, I think it was called. Okay. It was just an amazing arc. Um, So Sinestro was originally Hal Jordan's partner and mentor. There, There are always two Green Lanterns per space sector. Okay. And Earth is in Space Sector 2814, as is Korrigar, Sinestro's homeworld. So when Sinestro's original partner, Avin Sur, dies crash landing on Earth, Hal Jordan, the ring, selects Hal Jordan to be his successor. And then Sinestro comes and says, oh, like you've been chosen by the ring. Like I'm going to teach you how to be a Green Lantern. So, in fact, originally Sinestro is... A hero. He's a good guy, right? Um, 
And what happens is Hal Jordan goes to, ends up going to Sinestra's planet, Korrigar. Uh, and Sinestra at this point is regarded as the greatest of the Green Lanterns because of how peaceful he has kept Korrigar and his space sector. And Hal Jordan discovers that it is because he is a tyrant. He has mm-hmm. kept the peace by using the power of the, the, the ring to subjugate his people to his will, as we said. And, you know, he, he's a conqueror slash politician who is imposing his will upon the people to keep them from committing crimes at the cost of free will. Um, so, so Hal betrays Sinestro, quote-unquote betrays, um, and brings in the Green Lantern Corps. They take him down, strip him of his ring and his rank, and exile him to the antimatter universe. Okay. Where he discovers the power of the yellow ring and uses that to become the Green Lantern's arch nemesis. Okay. Now, where things got most interesting for me was an arc called the Sinestro Core War. So not only does he get a yellow ring and use it, he crafts other yellow rings and basically creates the anti-Green Lantern Core. <laughs> okay. And it sets up so all of there end up being seven or more than seven but basically seven different rings of the you know color spectrum roy g biv and each one is powered by a different emotion as they call it in this in this storyline so green is willpower if you have strong willpower you know you you can create these constructs with the ring and use them sinestro's color yellow is fear Mm, okay so he he literally uses fear to you know control people and things right and and this has a parallel to star wars right the death star they say that fear of the this battle station will keep the local systems in line so the idea that you can use fear to maintain peace and order is kind of a, a subject of this ethical villainy yeah, I mean, because immediately I'm thinking of others who, like, I'm thinking of others who basically try to use fear to maintain, you know, peace and goodness. And it's funny because the two examples that come to me, one I'm comfortable seeing as a villain, the other I, I'm not, um, because one of them is Punisher, um, who especially in the TV shows I think is shown, you know, part of what he wants criminals to be afraid. He wants the people who've crossed him to be afraid. Sure. And um, ba- Batman. Yeah, but that's the other one I was going to think of as Batman. And I, I don't like the idea of seeing Batman as a villain. Um, but certainly I think there's some interpretations that absolutely could go there with him. Well, if there is one point where Batman is... They try to recruit Batman to the Sinestro Corps and give him a yellow ring. And oh, it's really? actually only the fact that he wore Hal Jordan's ring for a brief period in, in a story that let, gives him the willpower to resist the urge. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that's very explicit in in, um, in Batman's story is that he's supposed to use fear. Um, in yeah. the, the Christopher Nolan movie is where he's kind of trained by Raj al Ghul, uh, Raz al Ghul, or uh, um, however it's supposed to be. Um, you know, that, 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 that idea comes, comes very much to the fore of, you know, uh, there's that great joke about use theatricality and that he took it a little more literally than was intended. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, oh, that's okay. That, I, I see why Sinestro is one we want to talk about. And so let's mm-hmm. uh, please keep bringing that one up as we go through. Um, so the, the, the arc of the Sinestro Corps War ends with Sinestro being defeated. Okay. Partly because the uh, Guardians, 
who control the Green Lanterns, enable the the Green Lantern rings to use lethal force against the Sinestro Corps to use their ring power to kill, which had previously been outlawed. And when when he is finally defeated by Hal Jordan, he actually just, he smiles and he says, but I got you to change. I got the Green Lanterns to change and now you have more power to control and police the universe. So obviously, like, he probably wanted to win, but mm-hmm. to him, like, this this was a fine loss and that he got the Green Lanterns to change to match more of his own philosophy. That's really a great example. And I know when we get to the topic of, of redemption uh, for a, a villain and what does that mean, one of the ones that specifically that I thought of was um, when it seems like the hero has – the villain, to some extent, has proven right. Um, so we'll definitely get to that. Um, cause I, that, 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 and now I'm really interested in Sinestro. Um, has he been portrayed? I, I've seen most of the Justice League television show, the cartoon, but not for a long time. Has Sinestro been, been portrayed on screen in ways that you think are, are well done? Or is it mostly just all in the comic books that the story no, lives? No, Like, so he was, he was in the Ryan Reynolds movie as the <laughs> mentor. And okay. in the, um, the post credit scene, I believe he discovers a yellow ring. So if there had ever been a sequel, it, it would have been kind of that arc where he becomes, you know, okay. the, the yellow wielder of the yellow light. Uh, and in the comics, or, or sorry, in the like cartoons, he's pretty much always portrayed as just a one of, mm-hmm. basically like an anti-Green Lantern who uses the yellow ring in the same fashion and, and is never really given the given the political motivations so no, like I, I've never enjoyed him in, in any of the visual or the video okay. media. Got it. Well, so let's start talking. Then let's diving into more about some of the things that can make a villain ethical. And there's a couple of categories I came up with that uh, that I'm, I I want to kind of get your thoughts on. Um, and and see who you'd put into which of these, uh, or how, how ethical you think this is. Um, the first is, and I think we've been talking about this a lot. It's where we can somewhat sympathize with the goals or the point of view of the character, the person who, you know, like you said, like Sinestro, who fundamentally wants to make the world a better place just through these means we don't, we don't like, uh, or a, um, a Magneto who for pretty good reason thinks that his, his people are being pushed around and oppressed and that fighting back is the way to, to do so. Um, for me, this, this is one that I think really draws me in is where, you know, when the villain gives their speech, I, I kind of stop and think and go, you know, maybe there's there's some truth to this. Um, what What's your take on that? How important for you is it that 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 from the villain's point of view, like that they're the ethical one? Yeah, well, Magneto is, is probably one of the best popular examples of, of this where he comes from a literal minority who has yeah. been oppressed, persecuted. Uh, in some cases, you know, killed, slaughtered, and wants to achieve power in order to turn the tables, right? Like, he, he wants to save his people, right? but at the cost of the, the former oppressors. And this is pretty much all of human history, right? Like, you look at uh, Serbs and uh, Bosnians and Croatians in the former Yugoslavia, Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunni and Shiite Muslims in the Middle East. There's always a group that is 
primarily in power and then the the minority group when they come to power they're like all right well now it's your turn yeah we're gonna kill you or we're gonna oppress you i i think that's well put i think that's that's something else i think that also really goes into this is where these are people who i can sympathize with in part because i can see a parallel to our own world you know when when killmonger who you're right needs a some better pr um but you know when he when he talks about how you know the the people of color of the world are oppressed and need to fight back oh, and that yeah. if there's someone like wakanda that has the ability to I, I mean i'm i'm all for him you know and and he to me and we'll get to this later but he's very much in that same category of um uh sinestro of one where by the end even the hero seems to think that that killmonger was somewhat right um mm. it, it's interesting because it's a I think with a lot of these, it winds up coming down to the means to the end. You know, like I'm. I think Magneto. I think Magneto has a better understanding than Professor X does of the way the world is going to treat mutants. I think in a lot of stories, I I think the way Magneto is told, I'm not quite with him on the methodology he wants to use. Um, and I think I would say that for a lot of these villains, where I can. Um, I, 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 I'm with you, like, up till you tell me what your secret plan is, and then I start to go, I can't quite go there. Um, I will say that I think Magneto is probably one who comes closest to, especially because I think of Professor X as just as much of a villain, um, but that's that's a whole other uh, can of worms. Well, Magneto ends up convincing Cyclops. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, in, in most of the modern X-Men storyline, Cyclops actually breaks off from the X-Men or from Xavier's X-Men mm. and forms his own faction of the X-Men, often aligned with Magneto. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and he's, yeah, Scott Summers is much more villainous, I think, right. in the modern X-Men. And then um, Wolverine and ends up becoming the new leader of the of Xavier's X-Men in, mm-hmm. in most of these storylines. Another villain who I who I think of as, as being in this category, and here's one where I think it's more about the point of view, because I'm I'm hard, it's harder for me to sympathize with their goals, but is Killmonger. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kingpin uh, from uh, uh, the Daredevil TV show on Netflix, as well as the comics. Have, have you seen the Daredevil on Netflix? I have not. No. Kingpin is told in a very interesting way because I think he's very much a criminal, and he's mm-hmm. very much a law and order type. Um, oh really? And and he well yeah it, it's his his idea is that he basically he he eventually wants political power for himself but he um, he wants um at the start at least he wants power over the criminal world but it's because he wants to instill order he wants to you know rule things to cut out crime um mm. you know accept his kind of crime but um the way his story is told is that he had a very, uh, for, do you mind being spoiled on the show a little bit? I'm, I'm probably never going to watch it. Okay. Go ahead. Um, uh, but he is someone who had a very traumatic incident happen when he was a child in which his father was physically abusing both his mother and himself and potentially putting his mo- both of them in lethal danger. And as a young child, he winds up because he's a very strong child killing his father in an act of self-defense of himself and his mother. And the show actually does a very good job of showing this, you know, just how mentally scarring this would be and how traumatic, but that it leads him to an idea of 
he is the only one who can keep the people he cares about safe and that the only way to stop crime like that is through force. Um, and, and King, like, I am fairly certain you could tell a TV show, you could make a TV show called Marvel's Kingpin in which he wouldn't be a hero, but he wouldn't be a villain. He'd be kind of like a, um, Breaking Bad style antihero in which you were rooting for him. Um, mm. and, and to me, that's a sign of great writing, but it's also him being, uh, that, that perfect kind of, it's not that I think he's got a political cause I agree with and, and I'm glad I've not had the experiences he had. And I think therefore I'm, I'm, I hope I'm able to see it with a little more balance. But if I put myself in his shoes, I can 100% understand why he thinks what he's doing is moral and just. Um, and that, 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 that makes such an interesting character to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear this. Like I mm. had heard not so great reviews of Daredevil. So interesting. now I'm a little more intrigued. Okay. You're talking about the TV show, not the movie, right? The, oh, <laughs> okay. The, the Ben Affleck movie. Yeah, no, the Ben Affleck movie is horrible. I don't think anyone's defending that. Oh. Um, but yeah, so to you, are there other are there others you'd put in the same category of um, villains who are ethical because their cause makes sense to you? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, I think we've covered most of the ones. I'm just looking through my notes real quick. Yeah. I I guess one other I would think of. Um, who again kind of pushes this question is um Ozymandias from the Watchmen. Oh yes. Yeah. Actually that that's a great example. Right. Well, because he's one who um, you know, thinks he's preventing nuclear war. And if the conceit of the story is that he does prevent nuclear war, again it's a sort of a like, is he wrong? Um, I think he is. But it's but I think it's a really interesting question. Right. And and then uh, Doctor Manhattan ends up agreeing with him, right? Yeah, and and he kills Rorschach in order to keep the secret, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, Ozymandias. Yeah, and and he's one. He is one where, like, um, like Thanos, I disagree with his premise. You know, like I feel like he makes a logical conclusion that by doing this, he will prevent war. And I'm I'm not sure that he's right that it would prevent war, but if you told me that that there was absolutely going to be a nuclear war unless Ozymandias does this, but by Ozymandias doing this, it is also 100 percent that there won't be war. Then I'm not sure if I think he, like I think he's a horrible person, but but maybe it's needed. Like it mm. it and it's one of those things where I think the movies will almost always give us an out, but I think that's that's what makes such an interesting question of is like and and to me I guess it's it's. The problem that I see in a lot of those villains is that hubris, and it's the it's the hubris that makes him think that he's right and he should make the decision is also the hubris that makes him think there's no other way and that this will solve everything. Um, yeah, so it, well, go ahead. So I have an example for you of a hero, like straight up. Um, have you watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Yes. Okay, so I, th- I think the episode was called um wow what is it like um is it in the pale moonlight or am i thinking of something else i've only seen it once and not for a long time so i might not remember the details it is the episode where we're we're deep into like the dominion war arc Uh where the federation's fighting the dominion they are uh, allied with uh the klingons and they're losing 
and they decide that the only way that they can turn the tide of this war is if the Romulans, who have been neutral thus far, are brought into the war on their side. Right. And they, so Captain Sisko gets Garrick, plain simple Garrick, who's actually super spy, to help <laughs> him manufacture fake evidence yeah. that the Dominion is plotting against the Romulans to trick the Romulans into entering the war on their side. And when that when the fake evidence is discovered and fails, this is the, the famous uh, gif, it's a fake! Yeah. <laughs> um, when that fails, Garrick assassinates the Romulan senator, Vrenak, uh, blows up his shuttle, but makes it look like the Dominion did it. Mm. And frames the Dominion. And that's ultimately what brings the Romulans into the war. And Cisco is left conflicted, right? Like, and, and Garrick's like, "This is what you wanted, right? I, I, I made it happen for you." And he's like, "But at what cost?" And, and there are many, you know, Trek. There are many Trek fans who love this episode. It's one of my favorites. There mm-hmm. are also many Trek fans who hate it because yeah. they think that this is the moment when Trek was ruined because it was supposed to be this wonderful vision of the future. You know, Gene Roddenberry's utopia. And yeah. you've you've corrupted it and made it as morally ambiguous as right now, as as real life. Yeah, it, so it, it kind of shattered the fantasy. I think that's a great way of putting it because it's, and I, I was thinking about something similar with comic books, where I think I, I think we've seen this evolution in a lot of media, where you know traditionally media was told in very black and white terms, and that I use that in terms of morality, but unfortunately because of though those terms are framed that way also because of the racist understanding of things. But, you know, like the good guys are good and virtuous and the bad guys are mustache twirlers. And um, like in the – do you know about the comics code? Yes. Yeah. yeah in, in the comics code, it was made very clear. This is a, a thing – sort of a, a set of moral standards to, to um, that comic books were supposed to follow for a lot of the, the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s um, where it started to get broken. But one of the things was that, that the villains were never supposed to have like, you know – their point of view supposed to they would just be you know villainous and i think mm-hmm. roddenberry was very much of that same idea he wanted you know our heroes to clearly be good and bad um yeah. and to me i think that I, you're right i remember that episode and how much i liked it because moral grayness is real um and and part of what it the connection that i made there is that i think we're talking a lot about how like you know what what starts to turn you into a villain is when you start to think that I can do this morally wrong thing in order to justify this cause. And yeah. what I think what I think you're getting at with Cisco is that's not a bright line. And that for a lot of characters, like where are they a hero and how do they become a villain, there's a huge amount of gray area there. And that I imagine there's a lot of characters who I might say I still think they're a hero even though they did this. And someone else might say, nah, they crossed this line and they're a villain. Um, and it, it – I think I love the stories that really push on this because it gets into like that the line between a hero and villain is pretty gray when the, when they're well told. Cisco is obviously the hero, right? Um, but he embarks on this morally ambiguous path and yeah. does very questionable things. Ultimately, Garrick is the one who carries out the assassination, but Cisco doesn't turn him in. Yeah, right. He he kind of goes with the. Um, the ends justify the means and just kind of sweeps it under the rug and uh, like deletes his log entries on it. And 
it's it's complicated because he's i think that episode did a good job by using garrick in that way to keep cisco at least that one final step removed from villainy i think if he had carried out the assassination then it, it would have been much more difficult to root for to continue to root for him as a hero right and and garrick was just kind of morally ambiguous enough that you were okay with him doing this yeah but but i i think and like i i think star trek never went quite this far if the next if the next season or maybe two seasons down the road a similar situation had been set up and now it would have to be cisco actually doing the assassination like i feel like before that episode i wouldn't have believed it but now i would believe that he'd at least be tempted because i think that's that's to me what's the most insidious thing is that like I said before, once you justify one act, the next one becomes a little, you know, it, it's like, you know, if you can justify a, an act that's a number one on the, the scale of villainy, this was a ridiculous concept, but just to play this out, then justifying a two becomes a little easier and a three and a four. Um, and, and I think that's, 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 I think, one of the most interesting kind of story is when not the person who holds himself to a zero, but the person who does start to do things like what Cisco did, but still is able to hold a line for himself somehow. Yeah, I think going back to like the example from Injustice, it's it's a similar thing where a Superman killing the Joker mm-hmm. is, is something you'd be like, okay, like I'm okay with that. Like I might be personally against killing, but I understand the logic of you know, eliminating this psychopathic killer. Right. But then, yeah, that makes it easier for him to take the next step, which is that he's going to take over and yeah. prevent all crime. Yeah, and that's um, uh, to me it, it, it's it's the way I've always understood Batman's setting that no killing line is he knows that that's what his danger is, and so he's so will so is so willing to um, kind of set that line because then he knows he's got some hard and fast line that's his definition of when it stops being morally gray and becomes you know actually pro- you know across the line. Um, there's one other. I think we're we're we've been going really long because it's a great discussion. So I'm kind of throwing out some of our outline, but but just to hit the topics, I want to make sure we talk about. Um, there's one other kind of character I think that I want to put in here. Um, that's again about the victim, the the villain's point of view, uh, and it's probably to my favorite character in in um, comic books, certainly in DC and DC on screen, uh, which is Amanda Waller, um, and and to me she's the embodiment of the character who is afraid of our heroes and wants to limit the power of our heroes because she's wondering what could happen if our heroes turn bad. Um, for those who don't know her character too well, she the only time she's really appeared on screen in movies is Suicide Squad, and it's a terrible movie, but I think she's actually portrayed very well. Um, yeah, yeah. But the idea... Well, that, I mean, uh, what, what is the actress's name? Is, is, is it uh, Viola Davis? Or? I, I, yeah, it, it, she's an amazing actress yeah. um, who's... Um, um, looking that up now. Suicide Squad. Amanda Waller. The actress is uh, uh, and no, Angela Bassett. Is that right? No, that doesn't look right. Uh, I'll I'll look it up. Um, but yeah, but to uh, Viola. No, you're right. Viola Davis. Um, really good actress. Um, uh, and the voice actress who plays her in the uh the Justice League shows is also very good, mm-hmm. and she's a great I, portrayal. I liked the portrayal in the cartoon much better. Yeah, I can see that. Well, and in both, I think, especially in the cartoon, the idea that you get of her is she is someone who has recognized that 
all of a sudden there's these incredibly more, much more powerful things that all of which could destroy humanity at a, at a heartbeat. And she's utterly terrified. And so she wants to be as hard as nails as she can be to, you know, to, to, to protect humanity. And so the, the two things that she's often most doing is a kind of like in a real no mercy kind of way, you know, forcing uh, villains, super villains who she's captured to, to do things, you know, in order like she directs the Suicide Squad. But even more so, and especially in the comics, is that she wants to put in limitations. You know, she wants to make sure that we have green kryptonite on hand in case Superman goes bad. She wants to make sure that we have a way to blow up the Justice League station in space. Um, and she's always portrayed as a villain, or at least as an antagonist. And I, I often always wind up feeling like we are asked as the audience to trust these people because we're heroes. But I get why she doesn't trust them, and I get why she's therefore takes the action she does. Uh, what, what's your take on her character and, and this, this type of character, this type of villain? Yeah, Amanda Waller is interesting because uh, depending on where the storyline is going, she would be equally as comfortable collaborating with Batman as she would be uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah. Be because they all have similarly, they, they can have similarly aligned motivations. Right. Um, I think, you know, Lex Luthor fits much more into the side of we can't trust these superpowered beings. Um especially Superman like he he has his motivations you know when he's president Luthor are very focused on a, a kind of human centric like oh, I guess almost human supremacist point of view that you know you can't trust aliens quote right. unquote which obviously has a, a real life parallels and, uh, and then but at the same time, like Amanda Waller has plenty of scenes where she's collaborating with Batman. Right. Um, well, and because Batman also, I mean, Batman wants green, green kryptonite just as much. Like he also doesn't trust anybody. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think Amanda Waller and Lex Luthor are, are an interesting parallel because actually I should say about Lex Luthor, he has been a character for so long and written in so many different ways that you probably could fit a version of him into almost every category we've come up with. Um, you know, he's been just the criminal. He's been just the mustache twirler. But I think in, in some of the most recent tellings in comic books and in the, in the Justice League TV shows and some of the movies, he, he is portrayed, you're right, as, as kind of human supremacist and human protectionist. I feel like, though, that he's a lot more out for his own self-aggrandizement and either financial reward or, um, you know, personal power than Amanda. Like, Amanda strikes me as someone who... She doesn't want to get rich. She doesn't care if she's in the shadows and no one knows what she does. She just wants to get the job done. Whereas Luther, his own ego and his own hubris and his own desire to be seen as the one fixing everything also plays a huge part in it. Do you think that's a fair distinction between the two? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Luther is all ego. In yeah. fact, so when uh, the seven different color lantern cores started recruiting like mainstream characters uh luthor was recruited into the orange lantern corps which was avarice or greed oh interesting yeah yeah I, I think that's very fitting i think that's why to me like luther is an interesting villain who can sometimes be a bit ethical but i i don't put him in the ethical villain category the way i very much would in amanda waller yeah he's 
I mean, it's funny. Like, there are some storylines where he teams up with the heroes. Right. And seems more heroic. But ultimately, yeah, like, it's... I think Luthor would be a hero if people adored him for it, yeah. I guess. I mean, I think he's very much in that intellectual fascist idea as well. You yeah. Know, he, 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 in a lot of ways, Luther and Ozymandias seem very similar to me um, in that they're both convinced what they're doing is right. And that the idea that they would ever stop and think like, is the, is the harm I'm causing worth it is just outside there. They think that they're so smart that no one would ever have to question that. Yeah. Um, so, so let's turn to this idea that we've been dancing around a bit. Um, what what is the possibility for redemption for villains like this? And and first of all, is that even a, a topic that makes sense? Um, it, it it feels to me like in a lot of these stories, if they're an ethical villain, at the end they get some kind of an ending in which they they get to either turn to the light or they they do something good or at least they they recognize the the that they were wrong. Um, do you, is that to you an important part of a, an ethical villain's uh, story arc? Yeah, absolutely. Like the end, so the end of Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run. Uh huh. The final villain is the first Lantern. He's kind of the progenitor of all of this power. So he's he's the most powerful. He he can embody all seven lights. Right. Um, and Sinestro actually, I I can't remember if it's this storyline where he rejoins the Green Lanterns. Maybe, but anyway, he's he ends up helping to defeat the first lantern. Okay. So, there. To me, what happens is these these ethical villains are often antagonists, but they walk this line of you can understand their motivations, and then when a bigger evil comes along, they are they are able to kind of swing back. And team up with the heroes mm-hmm. against the bigger evil because because it's a different type of evil. I think I think the first lantern just wanted to like destroy existence or something right ludicrous like that. And obviously, you can't have that if you want to control existence. Right. I mean, and certainly, there's a number of X Men stories. Uh, Days of Future Past is one of the best examples, but there's others where some other you know bigger threat comes along. And Magneto and Professor X have to unify to some extent or, you know, kind of realize like the particular um, thing that they're doing is not as important as the the larger threat they're now facing. Yeah. So so I think and, and yeah, like the the first lantern was just kind of a MacGuffin, right? Like a plot device, like this galaxy destroying entity like uh, Galactus right. type of thing. And I think those types of villains or antagonists are in, in the context of this discussion are not interesting and they the the best thing that they can do is to realign our our ethical villains with the heroes in some sense yeah it, it is i think the, i think in some ways that's why it's the it this is the redemption story i'm often least interested in because it, it there's a sort of sense of for an ethical villain to switch sides now a real mustache twirler has to come along you know yeah it can't be another ethical villain who who kind of makes them question it um but I think it's a good category, and I think Darth Vader um, is another one we could easily put in that idea of, you know, who, yeah, who yeah. changes sides. Um, I know or, another... or, or Kylo Ren, right? Like, they just literally brought back Palpatine because they needed him to, like, cackle Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's another category we talked about, which is, is similar, but I think a little bit different, of, of the villain who makes the noble sacrifice. Um, 
you know, and I know Kylo Ren dying, I think, is something you, you are a lot more unhappy about than a lot of the rest of, of us. Um, or or was, am I wrong on that? I, I was unhappy that he died. I was even more unhappy that they kissed. Yeah, I think that's I, I was rooting for some kind of connection between them, but the way that scene played out was not satisfying to me. I can I see it that. Been, it could have been better. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, anyway. that you and I are on very different sides on the... the uh Kyrae or what what's the Raylo Raylo idea hashtag um, Raylo but that we both found it dissatisfying and I think for me like I I don't I don't generally love the idea of the um you know that like if you die doing something noble it forgives everything else you did but I do think that in a, in, in some stories for me when the character when the villain does die in a you know a, attempting to kind of make things right way to me, that is an interesting kind of redemption because it, it, it's more than anything, it's a recognition of their own villainy. Um, I think that's the with a lot of the characters we're talking about. One of the things that that I think makes them a villain is that they don't see the damage that they're causing. You don't they don't see how far into that gray they've gotten. Um, and so I think for me, the redemption is often tied to they have that, you know, awareness moment. They have that light bulb moment of, wait a minute, I've gone too far. I need to do something mm-hmm. to make this right. Yeah, the what what have I done? Moment. Right, and I think definitely. I mean, both Ben and that's you know that's I had made that connection before, but yeah, that like both Ben and Anakin both have that moment. And you 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 put it down a uh, Vegeta from uh, DBZ, who I believe is that's Dragon Ball Z. Vegeta. Vegeta. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So actually, Dragon Ball is famous for rivals becoming allies okay like and sometimes like straight up just evil evil villains uh piccolo is another character who is pretty much like the embodiment of evil so there's Mm -hmm. another there's another character who is just god or kami who in order to become god over planet earth had to expel the evil from his body and that becomes (laughs) The character piccolo so he is in fact just evil but you know he fights the main character goku and they have like a they they end up having a friendly rivalry where they're trying to kill each other um but then when the bigger evil comes along they have to team up and this happens like two or three times over the course of dragon ball where the former rival now like there's a there's a greater threat so you have to team up and, and vegeta is like the ultimate character of that even though piccolo was literally evil vegeta is the one that people really love the most i think nice in terms of this villain turned reluctant ally yeah and he has uh he has a great arc in this the the redemption arc where they are fighting against a creature named majin boo uh who is also like this kind of embodiment of evil i guess i don't know um and at this point, he's settled down. He's um, married one of the other characters in the in the core group, and he's settled down as just like the the grumpy rival at this point. Um, but when when Boo comes along, he he sees an opportunity to become more powerful than mm-hmm. Goku, the main character, by embracing evil again. Um, get, basically, like getting a power up. By embracing evil and, and does so 
and fights against Goku, but ha- has that moment of like, what have I done? And sacrifices himself to try to destroy Boo, but fails. And it, it's a very, for, for anime fans, I think it's a, it's a very emotional moment when he does that. I can see that, yeah. So I, it's, it's similar to the Darth Vader ending, I think. It's like trying to take down the, the greater evil, sacrificing yourself. Well, and I think it all speaks to this idea of the um, the moral grayness at work here, and that the line between villain and hero is a lot is is not a, a hard and fast one. But also, I think I think the reason why that redemption stories speak to us is is when it's it reminds us that you can go back. You know that it's not just the. I feel like one of the initial conceits of of the Yoda character of the the Jedi in Star Wars is that it's it's a one way trip. You know that you can only go that as you start committing more and more morally villainous acts, um, that there's no turning back. And I I feel like that the redemption story is really an idea of it doesn't have to be that. You know that you can. It might not you know, redeem all the things you've done, but you, you, you can pull yourself back. You can realize what you've been doing and, and try to change, which I, which I think yeah. makes a really powerful story and a, and a really powerful lesson for us that it's because I think both in, in stories, but also in real life, it's very easy to sort of say, Oh, this person did this terrible thing. Let's just write them off. They're a terrible person. And, and, and there's well, nothing more to do there. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think as human beings, we have all done or said things that we regret, right? Like it's, we have all been the villain at right. moments in our life and we don't want to be defined by that. We want to believe that we can learn from our mistakes and be better and improve and not commit the same wrongs going forward. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there's, there's a lot of lessons there for sure. Um, of like how, you know, how, because I think that's the thing is like, I mean, you and I, this is putting it in a very different context, but you and I have talked about this a lot in terms of um, I've never been in a, a physical situation where I had to decide like, you know, how much did I want to do in terms of physical violence to someone? But I've certainly been in situations where I have to wonder, OK, I'm in this heated Facebook debate and how far into things that I think might be effective but aren't things that I feel morally great about do I want to go? Um, and, and I know you and I have, have, have talked about how we have somewhat different standards about, um, you know, the ways of activism and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's one more ways in which these stories are so powerful because it, it more than anything, I feel like wh- what I'm kind of getting out of this discussion is that at the end of the day, what comes down to who is a villain and who is not in a particular story is what does the writer think the line is about who is a villain and who is not? Because, the characters that I'm always interested in are these ones who, with a different writer or a different director, maybe you'd see them as not villainous, or you would see a hero. Like, to me, The Punisher, I watch The Punisher TV show on Netflix, and I 100% think he's a villain. Um, he's a villain I understand, and I, I, I don't really agree with, but I, I, I can sympathize with, but I think he's a villain. I don't think the yeah, writer yeah. thought he was a villain, um, but I think a different writer could have very much told that story as, as making him a villain. Um, so yeah, it just... It's interesting the directions that these all go. Um, I, I wanted to get to one other category of redemption and then ask kind of a, a closing question that I think you'll enjoy. But we, we've talked about this, but I think the, the other category of redemption that I, you were talking about with Sinestro is where the villain winds up convincing the hero of something. Uh, and the hero kind of adapts some of the, the villain's point of view. 
why for you is that an important part of the the redemption or or the story of an ethical villain? Uh, well, because I think it, in a sense, it means the villain was right, mm-hmm. but that they were going about it perhaps in too extreme of a way. Yeah, the means versus the ends. Yeah. So I, I think it, it it's not necessarily a full redemption arc, but it but it does make it okay for us as fans to identify with the villain and say okay yeah like i I wouldn't go quite that far like i wouldn't kill people or you know like destroy things and whatnot but i understand your goals and the fact that now the heroes are adopting some of that means that it it is you know somewhat okay to be okay with that character it's i think one of my favorite parts of the black panther movie is that the movie ends with um, you know, Black Panther and, and his country adopting a lot of what Killmonger was pushing for, doing it yeah. in, in more of a we want to help the world rather than conquer the world. Um, but it's very we're much. Not gonna, we're not going to hide anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Killmonger's whole point is Wakanda has been hiding and has been isolating. And by the end of the movie, that's not happening. Yeah. So the the final thing about Sinestro that I want to bring up is after all, because because the comics keep going like they, they call it they call the storyline green lantern the end but obviously the story keeps going yeah <laughs> uh, with, with different writers different creative teams and in in the follow-up to that sinestro actually question mark becomes the hero again um the green lantern corps temporarily actually disappears from the, the galaxy mm-hmm. and the sinestro corps then takes up the mantle of the peacekeepers and um, his daughter, who was who is a Green Lantern, joins him, but then I think says like, "Okay, like I'm gonna help you maintain the peace, but you can't kill people anymore." I'm pretty sure. So it kind of like flipped the table of now like the Green Lantern morality is is changing the Sinestro Corps. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So so let me close this out. I, I would love to keep going a lot deeper, but I unfortunately have dinner plans that I, I uh, my, my partner's letting me know food is getting ready. Um, but but to, to draw on a, a shared universe you and I both enjoy, who do you think is an ethical villain in the Magic the Gathering storylines? <laughs> well, it's not Bolas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, if dragons have mustaches, then Bolas is twirling his as fast as I he possibly think, doesn't, can. Doesn't he have a mustache? He might. Uh, he might certainly he would twirl it, but, but yeah, who do you who do you think could be seen as a, an ethical villain? Are there any? I mean, it's not <laughs> the Eldrazi. The Eldrazi are just like literally world destroyers. Mm-hmm. Um, what name some other villains? Well, well, the Eldrazi actually, I I was kind of thinking about it a little bit because, as I understand it, the Eldrazi have a, they're they they have a role in the universe which is that their their role is to clean up universes that you know galaxies that that are planes of existence uh, that that need to be removed and that they are wow. that the, and again i haven't read this part of the story in a long time but that they are operating under the understanding that the universes that they're trying to destroy are ones that are supposed to be destroyed uh that they're wrong and that they've in part in part because they've been manipulated or part because of just false information but that they see them, they don't see themselves as like, mwahaha, let's you know destroy existence on this plane on this plane of reality. 
they see it as, yeah, this is our job. We are supposed to, you know, they're kind of the... Um, Galactus. Yeah, or have you? did you ever play the White Wolf um, were, uh, werewolf game? I did not. So it, it had a really interesting kind of moral center to it, which was the idea that in nature there are three primary forces. There is creation, there is what... what they basically creation like brings raw energy and life into the world, and then there is the 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 and then that's called the uh, the wild, and that the weaver shapes all of energy and life into patterns to exist, and then the the worm breaks those patterns down so that the energy can be reabsorbed and and you know in our own world like you know mushrooms and the things that like allow you know organic matter that has died to decompose back into nutrients to go back into the soil to create new life that that's the that that's that third part of the cycle of creation um and and, you know again readers uh listeners tell me if i'm totally wrong i always saw the eldrazi as kind of like that that they saw themselves as Hmm. you know breaking down parts of reality in order to you know clear out stagnation and bring more creation in the future um all right i thought they were just hungry yeah, that's possible too. But yeah, is anyone else so, you'd see as a? I guess Liliana has been a villain sometimes. She's now come off over more to being a hero. Um, so I thought a little bit more, and I have an interesting perspective. Go for it. The Phyrexians. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so the for, Phyrexians. For those of our fans who are not magic people, can you give us thirty seconds of who the Phyrexians are? Uh, they are the Magic the Gathering's version of the Borg. Yeah. That's a good way to put they it. They basically try to assimilate planes of existence and beings and quote unquote complete them, mm-hmm. which means to like infuse them with this weird black oil and make them uh, often make them more machine like. Uh, so, they, yeah, they are actually the Borg. Yeah. And, and so, like, I think, and the Borg again are, are similar in that they impose this order, this sense of order with a complete lack of free will. But that means that, you know, Borg don't kill each other. And they don't they don't commit crimes. Right. And from their point of view, they're making the world both the Borg and the Phyrexians are making the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good example. Um I'm I don't know the magic storyline too much, so I'm not thinking of others, but I think that there's certainly um uh listeners again, if you have ideas, please write in. Um so I want to wrap us up, uh, but do you have any kind of final thoughts or ideas you wanted to throw into this? Things we haven't gotten to touch on yet? No. This this was a this was a dream come true for me, Matthew. <laughs> Good. Uh, you let me talk about Sinestro for <laughs> I don't know, over an hour. So, well, I'm glad. Obviously, like I could keep on going and going, but <laughs> it's I don't know. Like I really part of it was the writing, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff John's writing. It has just a way of simplifying things, you know, like all the stuff about the emotional spectrum and the colors of light just yeah. makes it real fun. I think in the same way as the Magic the Gathering, you know, the five colors yeah. and I- identifying with something and-, and figuring out what that is based on the definitions, it-, it makes it easy to jump in as a fan. Well, I, I will say this. Um, I definitely want to you- – this was a fantastic episode. I- I'm really glad you brought this idea to me. Um, I'm now interested in learning more about Sinestro, uh, and I definitely want to have you back on for some from for any topic. But certainly, this is long in the future, especially with what we're going through now. But my understanding is that DC did announce that they want to do a Green Lantern movie at some point in the future, 
uh, and and hopefully do a much better job. Um, I'd especially love it was John Stewart uh, as as Green Lantern because he's the character I really love as Green Lantern. But whoever it is, if we get that movie and if Sinestro is the 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 villain and they really do a good version of it, I'll definitely want to have you back to talk about him in that movie because yeah, the way you they describe sh- it, this is a character I'd love to see on screen. The I mean, as a fan of the comic, the Ryan Reynolds movie was really disappointing. Um, uh, for example, like the villain in that movie, Parallax, was just like a cloud yeah it was so badly right? done um and and uh in the comics parallax is the embodiment of sinestro's power fear um mm-hmm. and it, it's very interesting because it can infect people and and kind of turn them right and, and he he takes over them so there's a there's a storyline where green lantern actually becomes evil this was long before all the all the Jeff John stuff, but Green Lantern becomes infected by Parallax, so he calls himself Parallax, and tries to basically impose you know his will, right? As we've been talking about to uh, maintain peace. This is after the um, death of Superman storyline, because I don't know if you know know or recall, but in that uh, Coast City, Green Lantern's home city, is destroyed. Oh wow! In a, okay, in a nuclear explosion. And Green Lantern was not on Earth at the time. He comes back. He blames himself. He blames everyone else. He says, why didn't you stop this? And he basically, like, tries to take all of the Green Lantern power into himself. Oh, wow. (laughs) To become, like, the ultimate power. To basically, like, never again type Uh of thing. And calls himself Parallax. But it turns out, like, it's, it's a retcon. But it turns out that he was infected by this entity of fear nice and it was his fear of losing his family in his city and not letting that ever happen again that allowed this parasite to infect him well if nothing else this gets me thinking that actually i know the topic i want to bring you back for <clears throat> which will definitely be a chance to discuss sinestro and a lot of other things which is fear specifically as a motivation because it's oh. honestly it's the thing that i think i've always liked about the star wars story most is you know i as someone who's both studied politics, but also a lot of like personal psychology and stuff like that, you know, fear is one of the most destructive human feelings, whether it's, you know, fear that your, your wife is cheating on you and the sort of the ways that, 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 that fear kind of makes you treat her to, you know, fear of the immigrant and fear of loss or any of that kind of stuff. Like, and I'm, I'm really interested in how, how many of our villains are motivated by fear and how many, um, you know, just fear as a storytelling technique. So that I think would be a great thing to bring you back on to discuss. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, thank you, Ricky. This has been a great conversation, and I'm so glad you brought up this topic. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. But really, we'd love to make you a part of the conversation, too. Who is your favorite villain? Who's the villain who makes you think, you know what, that person might have a point. Maybe I'm kind of sort of rooting for them. Who, who's the ethical villain that you kind of really love and want to talk about? You can let us know on Twitter or on Facebook at Superhero Ethics. We have a Superhero Ethics page, but the best place especially is our Superhero Ethics Facebook group. You have to ask to join, but you will definitely be in, uh, invited. You definitely be accepted in. And it, we really want to get the, keep these conversations going. So that not just that you're hearing this once a week, but jump in. Tell us about your favorite supervillain. Tell us who you believe in. Tell us what you thought of what we had to say, what you do or don't agree with. You can find us in all those places. You can also email us, superheroethics at gmail.com. So on behalf of Riki and myself, 
Thank you all for listening. Have a great day.